0: Just to kind of bring you up to speed with where we're at, we are walking through the uh, the chapters 5 through 7 in the book of Matthew. And we started in the beginning of February and we're going to be in uh, through chapter 7 all the way till the end of May. We'll have a couple of weeks off for different things. But uh, I don't know about you guys, but I, I really enjoy walking a little bit slower through the Bible. Teaching through it, talking through it. Because... A lot of times we miss some of the nuances of what scriptures are really talking about. We grab like the high points of scripture. You know, we got the, we got the Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And most people take that out of context, you know. They think they can fly or something, I don't know. But that's not what it's referring to. But, you know, we'll, we'll grab the big scriptures, but we'll kind of skip over some things. And what we want to do is kind of dig a little bit deeper. And so that's what we're doing in a Sermon on the Mount. And it's really Jesus' first, uh, you know, recorded sermon, like, like kind of beginning to end as far as we know. But uh, it's him saying the heart of the kingdom. He's telling us what the heart of the kingdom of God is all about. And he's also telling us how, what it actually means to be a believer, a follower of Jesus. And we talked a little bit last week about how there is uh, there's sort of cultural Christianity They're sort of just like I was born into a Christian home, so I'm Christian, or I'm in America, and so, you know, it's a a Christian nation, and so we're kind of like Christian. But Jesus, he tells us something a little bit different than that. He displays the life in the way that he lives, but also in his teachings that doesn't really fit our model of what it means to be a Christian. And so it confronts some things in us deeply. It confronts some things in us culturally. And so uh, we like that, all right? One thing I'll say is this. We need to learn to grow in liking the Bible, smashing up against the way that we live our life. Like, we need to embrace that and like that. Some people, we just want to kind of grab the, the, the fun scriptures, the fun, the fun elements of, of the Bible. But we need to grab the ones that grade up, like grade up against us, you know. Because that's where change happens. That's where conviction happens. And that's where we, uh, we actually can obey Christ, okay. So, so uh, he's teaching us also the tension. And this is a big point kind of for this month. Especially last week and this week. Jesus is teaching us the tension between good deeds and motives. Motives. The motives behind the way that we live. The motives behind our actions. In Matthew 5.16, Jesus said, Let your your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And then in the next chapter, verse 1... He takes us a little bit deeper, again, in evaluating these motivations for these good deeds. He says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. So, again, we, we talked about this last week, but, but basically we kind of summed it up in this. Do good things for people to see and give credit to God, but don't do good things to receive the credit yourself. Right? Right? And uh, again, like always, if you weren't here last week or the week before, uh, it would be great to go back and, and watch those on YouTube or maybe the podcast in order to kind of check up. But today, we must continue to bring our motives to the Lord to, in order to know if our motives are completely pure. All right, remember we, we said, we asked the question last week, how do you know if your motives are pure? And we all thought about it for a second. And the answer actually is that you don't know. You don't know in and of yourself if your motives are completely pure in doing a good deed or whatever it is. Because the heart, right, the heart is deceitful. So we could think that things are good. We could think that we're doing something for the right motives. And we we may not be. That's why we must go before the Lord and pray and ask for his perspective, for him to search our hearts. Um, Quick question. You know, you don't have to raise your hand. But have you ever been doing something that you thought you were doing for the right reason, and then after maybe a few months or even possibly a few years, you stopped and you prayed, and maybe maybe even somebody gave you some perspective, and you realized that you were not doing those things for the right reason. You know, and, and you look back and you're like, have I for the last five years or, or longer or maybe just a few, few weeks, have I been doing this to receive something for myself rather than do it for the right reasons. And, and it's hard to do that because we don't like to see ourselves in a negative light. It's very easy to see everybody else in a negative light, but it's very difficult to see ourselves in a negative light because we think that things are always pure. And Jesus goes a little bit deeper this week whenever he talks to us about the heart of prayer. The heart of prayer. So let's pick up in verse 5, chapter 6. It says, and when you pray... So when you pray, not if you pray, but when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites or pretenders or actors, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, don't heap up empty phrases as as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. So today we're talking about motives in prayer. Now, to even hint towards taking what we talked about last week in regards to having bad motives whenever we do good deeds, and that feels kind of weird and kind of pushes up against us. Now we're going to talk, and Jesus is talking to us about having wrong motives when we even pray. (laughs) Wrong motives when we pray. And one thing is that we can pray bad prayers. For instance, there's a scripture in the book of Psalms that talks about crushing the teeth of the wicked. You know what I'm saying? Like, break the teeth of my enemies. And uh, it's in the Bible, right? So therefore, we can all pray that. Many, many times, daily, right? Every time you see somebody you don't like, Lord, just break their teeth. You know, shatter the teeth of the wicked God. It's in the Bible. Yeah, but there's, I don't know, it sounds sort of vengeful. It sounds sort of angry. You know why? Because there might be a really jacked up motive with that prayer. Like, Lord, I, I, I don't think we're supposed to really pray like that. So there's that type of motive. But... When Jesus says here, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, he's, spe- he's speaking to some very specific things. Now, you, you guys remember there's Jews and Gentiles, and the Jews are those who have been raised up following the law, and uh, they've been raised up, you know, knowing the Torah and all of those things. We've talked about this over the last few weeks. And so uh, there's also the Pharisees and the Sadducees and um, some religious leaders, and, and apparently what would happen is Uh, there were certain times of the day where people would pray. And so there was a lot of people who obviously knew when those times were. And so they would position position themselves certain spots along the street or the city or the synagogue where there was the most visibility to whenever it, it was time to pray, you know, a trumpet sounds or something, that they would begin to speak and they would begin to pray so eloquently so everyone around them could hear. Their prayers were so, I don't know, just better than everybody else's prayer. It's it's sort of the same thing we talked about last week with like the buckets of cash, you know, or they're just dumping buckets of money and they're like, oh, look how much money that person gave. It's the same motive when it came to prayer. People were praying in ways to be seen by others so that way they would be maybe more respected or whatever the case was. And so he's speaking to, to that sort of motive. But then he also speaks to the Gentiles uh, when he talks about repetitive prayers. Um I mean you guys watch movies and so you know I don't know if you guys are like Vikings fans or whatever but like all these old like medieval shows you know where you know everybody's very very violent first off but they would I mean, they pray to all of their their false gods and they 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 all these incantations and he's kind of speaking to that sort of Uh, sort of prayer life, and he's saying, don't come to God with repetitive prayers, thinking that if you say the right thing in just the right way, like a mathematical equation, or if you say it just a lot of times, that God will then listen to your prayers. Don't come with that type of repetitive prayer. So he's correcting Gentiles and Jews at the same time. And just like Jesus does, again, he always threads the needle. He's he's never... like people thought they were right where they needed to be with Jesus, and then he would always twist it just a little bit. And he's like, no, you don't, you don't quite have it yet. So even with their prayer life, he's like, you guys don't quite have it. Jesus is setting a new example for heartfelt prayer, prayer with the right motives. And this is a type of prayer that is pleasing to God. Now, one thing that we like to make a, a, a distinction between whenever we talk about pleasing God is that pleasing God's is not like appeasing God's. Okay, again, sort of this this false religion or, or other types of religion. There's this mindset of, of having to appease God's. You go back in the Old Testament and you go back, you know, you you see you get that feel from people. But even today, people still have this, this feeling of how they need to appease God. And we believe that the wrath of God was appeased on the cross with Jesus. Okay, so we no longer live a life trying to appease God out of this unhealthy fear, like he's going to strike us dead. Although if you're reading through the one-year Bible right now, it's hard not to see that, right? A guy's like, oh, it's kind of hot outside, cold outside, I think I'll gather some sticks. Oh, it's Sabbath, stoning. (laughs) No, no. If you want a, a good a good Bible reading plan that just kind of keeps you moving, the one year Bible is something that you can uh, you can read through. It also takes you through all the very very awkward, painful scriptures where you're like, poor guy that that gathered sticks on the Sabbath, poor fella. But anyway, uh, but 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 that's not that's not what that's not how we approach God. But we do approach God in a way where we desire to please Him. We desire to please Him. And so uh, one's rooted in fear, one's rooted in love. But uh, Stuart Webber said this, Biblical prayer is an act of faith, an expression of dependence on God. Meaningless repetition signifies dependence on oneself to manipulate or badger God into compliance. So biblical prayer is an act of faith and an expression of dependence on God. And we'll lean a little bit more into dependence in a while. But when it comes to this act of faith... Did you know that every time that you pray, that you are literally praying in faith? I listened to someone recently talk about how everything that we do, we do by faith. And uh, the ironic thing is this person is, they're, um, they're a well-known philosopher, but they're really not sure what they believe right now. I think, I think he would still say that he's agnostic. But even in his approach to life, he says everything that we do is by faith. We stand by faith that the floor is going to uphold us, right? We, we, we sit in the chair right now. You didn't think, oh, I wonder if this chair might hold me when I sit down, you know? No, this chair, is, it's, it's got me, you know? By faith, you sit down. By faith, we breathe. Like, we believe that there's something outside of us that's going to, to uh, uh, that we can rely upon. And we, we actually believe that. And we get used to those things, so we don't think about it as living by faith in the practical, but we do. And everybody has a belief system that they're putting their faith in, whether that faith is in themselves, in in, in another type of God, or in the God of the Bible. They're putting their faith, their their existence, they believe that their answers are being questioned by something or someone, and their faith is fully in it. So if you're alive right now, you're living by faith. And prayer is also something that we do by faith. We do it by faith. And so... Uh, Now, Jesus isn't saying pray only in private, although I know it it says that we have to remember chapter 5, verse 16, right, which is let your light shine before men that they may see your good works works and glorify your Father in heaven. So uh, Jesus is not being extreme here where it's like, oh, you're in danger of losing your reward in heaven if you pray and someone hears you pray. There are people who go to that extent, just like uh, we talked about plucking out your eye or cutting off your hand a few weeks ago. There are those who think that they, well, they did that. You know, people have done that. And that's, again, not the point that's trying to be made. But uh, in verse 9, Jesus does give us a template of how to pray. He gives us a template. And many of you have said this prayer many times. But, again, like we just did communion, I think that this prayer can also become something that's very religious, lacks power, lacks power you know, say this 17 times and, and you'll get this on the other side of saying this prayer 17 times. That's not what Jesus was was saying, but this is a gr- really great template for us. It says this, Jesus says, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation But deliver us from evil. So whether praying privately or with the church, if you if you notice, he says, our Father, um, that speaks to this corporate, you know, corporate, not in regards to like business, but corporate, like a, a, you know, a a gathering of people. You know, the church means a gathering, a gathering of believers. And so so when we say a corporate gathering, that's what we're talking about. So corporate prayer, our Father who is in heaven. Hallowed be your name. So, this prayer expresses the proper posture of our heart, and one that has these different elements in it. Number one is adoration, submission, provision, confession, and protection. If you look at these verses, you can see these words attached. Uh, Verse 9 Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, speaks of adoration and awe and wonder of, of God. Verse 10, your kingdom come, your will be done, speaks of submission. Your will be done, not, not my will. You know, whenever Jesus, before he went to the cross, he prayed, he prayed that, that God, your will be done, not mine. Right? So we live in a way that, that reflects that. Uh, the next verse talks of provision. That give us this day our daily bread. Everything we have is from God, that he is our provider. And then the next verse, uh, forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. Speaks about confession. And then the last one, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil protection. Now, okay, let's talk about prayer in our lives for just a second. Um, There's a lot of different people who pray in a lot of different ways. For some people, they're very methodical in um, maybe going to, like the scriptures just said, going to a a room, no lights, no nothing. And they just pray by themselves. For I don't know, maybe an hour. And then there's, uh, there's, there's others who are maybe not that focused, and it's more of like a as they go. I'm not here to give you some sort of template in regards to when and where you pray, uh, but I believe that there is a posture that we should have, that we should take in our lives of prayer. We should live a prayerful life. I think a person that prays for 30 minutes in a quiet room but then the rest of the day never acknowledges God in their life maybe is leaning too far one way but i think there's also over here the person who never has a, a quiet moment where they can pray to God and, and hear from him there's no reflection in their life that they never slow down to, to truly be still and know that he is God i think that they're leaning a little bit too far this way you know and uh, but, but whatever that looks like in your life that's really between you and God the posture of our heart is what's important. The motives in why we're doing something, but also the, the posture that we take. And it's, it's supposed to be a, a posture of worship and dependence on God. And not a, a type of prayer life that seeks to manipulate God. For instance, God, if you do this, then I'll do this. I personally am not a big fan of those prayers. You know, um, I've, I know some people who have prayed those prayers and, and God used it in a great way in their life, and, and some things came out of that type of prayer, but that's not the way that I pray. <laughs> I don't barter with God. I don't think that we're in a position to barter, right? So I don't think that we start from that place, but I do believe that there is a, a, a submissive, humble posture that we take before we even get into to some of the things that we're about to talk about. It's how we even approach it. And that's why biblical prayer as an act of faith is such a big point because we do it and we, we reach out to God by faith that he has the answers. Um, but let's dig into some of these questions. The, the, the big question is, what are, or the big topic is, what are some reasons that we don't pray consistently? We don't pray consistently. We go through seasons where we dig in a little bit more than others. Right now, again, don't answer this question, but w- when's the last time that you genuinely prayed? That you genuinely got alone. That you genuinely expressed your heart to God. What are some reasons why we don't pray consistently? Well, number one is that we lack awe and wonder in our adoration of God. We lack awe and wonder. We don't use those words a whole lot in our culture. Awe and wonder. It's it's very... I don't know, eccentric, it's, it's these, wor- these words, you know. And, and, and. But we are to live lives in awe and wonder of God, his creative power, right, his grace, his love, his forgiveness, his glory. And if we don't have a, a realization of that, then we, and we lack that, then we also lack this consistency in coming to the one who is all-powerful, right, right? We lack consistency in that. So another word that kind of keeps us from this is idolatry. We just sang in the song, we won't bow to idols. And whenever we think of idols, we do, a lot of times we think of statues and whatnot. But I think that we need to consistently shift our thinking when it comes to that. It's not some sort of statue. It could be a person. It could be... A thing. It could be something that we like to do. It could be good things that become God things in our life, and it becomes our awe and our wonder and our worship is directed towards those things as opposed to God. Does that make sense? You tracking with that? And so, so again, don't look for these gigantic things that are siphoning off your worship or your adoration from God. Look to the everyday things, Netflix. That was maybe more serious than I was intending it to be, but you know what I'm saying? Like sports, food, spending money, being around people all the time. Um, I mean, I don't know, whatever, whatever it is for you, what's the thing that, that takes the most focus in your life? Because it could be a really good thing. It could be our own family. It becomes an idol in our life. And so the, the, the worship that we are supposed to be giving to God, we give to others. Now there's a both and to all of this. Okay, we should love our families. <laughs> okay, don't get me wrong on that. But you guys get what I'm saying. When things get out of balance in our life, it could lead to a lack of awe and wonder of God. Simply put, it's it's either worship of the creator or worship of the creation. And so many times if we are not worshiping the creator, by default we will be worshiping the creation. Because uh, you're always worshiping. You're, you're all, your life is a life of worship. That's what the Bible talks about. You live your life as a, as a sacrifice of worship. So that's right. Every moment you're focusing, you're giving attention, you're giving adoration to something or someone. So... We lack awe and wonder in our adoration of God. What's other reasons we don't pray consistently? We lack submission and fail to recognize God's authority. Here's a definition of submission, by the way. A willing act of yielding or making oneself subject to the authority or control of another. Most of us just shuddered even hearing those words, okay? A willing, a willing act of yielding or making oneself subject to the authority or control of another. Oh, that does not sound very American at all, right? I ain't yield to nobody. I ain't subject to nobody. I'm my own person, you know? No, whenever it talks about submission, it speaks of taking your will and what you desire and what you want to do and and willingly taking that and putting it underneath, submitting it underneath God's authority, for some of you, that's a violent act in your life. <laughs> Where your will is being, like, like. there's so many things that you're to- totally cool with. But when it comes to having control of your life, it's like, nah, anything but that. What it looks like, I'll just give a quick example. Let's just take our sex lives. For many people, they're cool with everything in their life being submitted to God except their sex life. Like, that's the thing. It's like, well, you know, I don't Okay, I'm not not a bad person, I don't lie, I don't do this, but this right here, like this is mine. And God's like, no, no, the word says this, and so this is what it looks like to be a follower of God, is to take that and willingly submit it to God. The Bible also talks about putting to death the deeds of the flesh. Putting to death the deeds of the flesh. That would be an act of taking your will and submitting it to God's. And aligning your wills together. Now, the beautiful thing about Christianity and being a follower of God is that over time, your will naturally begins to fall in line with God's will through His Word and through sanctification. So it it, it gets easier. It gets easier. At least it's supposed to. I hope it gets easier for you. All right. But we we live a life of submission, and so we do that as we pray. We lack, uh, another thing is that we lack expectation in prayer when we fail to realize our true source of provision. Our su- true source of pre- provision. Last year we talked about stewardship. And we spent a lot of time leaning into the fact that everything that we have is from God. He is our source. The money in your pocket. We believe that God is the source of that. And he's given us everything that we have. And so, when it, it speaks of uh, "give us our daily bread," we believe that God is the source of our daily bread. It might be a little bit more expensive than it used to be, but He is the source of our daily bread. Lord, please continue to be the source of our daily bread. You know, my, my flashlight's been on this whole time. It was that annoying. It was annoying, wasn't it? You're like, turn the light off. His flashlight's on his phone. Turn it off. Sorry. All my OCD people, you can breathe, uh, you can breathe lightly now. Breathe. Whew, okay. My my light on my phone was on, for all of you wondering. But do you really look at all the things that you have as from God? I'm asking a lot of questions today just to kind of dig, to kind of dig deeper into the way that we really approach our daily lives. Because it affects the way that we pray. Everything I have is from God. We are stewards of what God has given us. The next thing is that we lack confession when we fail to respond to conviction. When he says, Forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors, this speaks of confession, and we lack confession when we fail to respond to conviction. We speak about this a lot, and I hope it doesn't sound like a broken record, but when it comes to the conviction of God in our life, it is something to embrace. We should make room for the conviction of God in our life. And we make room for the conviction of God in our lives whenever we pray. Whenever we pray. Whenever we ask God to reveal the motives of our heart. We are, we are opening up to be, uh to be adjusted, to be realigned, to be convicted. And forgiveness from God starts with confession to God. Everybody wants to be forgiven. But did you know that confession is the first step in that? Now, the Bible talks about how we confess our faults one to another for healing, but we confess to God for forgiveness. And, and, and some sort of combine those together, together. There is forgiveness from people that we'll get to here in a moment. We need to be forgiven by people. But more than that, we need to be forgiven by God. But you don't have to go through someone to get to God. Jesus is our great high priest. And so we go straight to the Father. The veil has been torn in two, right? We don't need Old Testament sacrifices anymore. We are able, our sins are forgiven by God straight through Christ, right? Through, through, and we pray through Christ. He is, he is our advocate. He stands before God on our behalf. And so whenever we pray, we ask God to forgive us. I don't need to go confess to someone else at that moment. I need to confess to God. Now... Uh, forgiveness is a two-way street. We need to be, be forgiven by God, but we also need to forgive others. And this verse kind of speaks of both. But this word forgiveness, it, um, whenever we speak about forgiveness anytime, forgiveness is a very difficult word to dig into. And it's because it's very deep in our hearts. It's very deep in our lives. If someone has done us wrong, we, we build defenses, right? We, we, we build defenses to not be hurt again. And a lot of times bitterness is one of the main ingredients in that defense system. And right here in the Lord's Prayer, it's built in and it starts pushing up against this. Now Jesus is going to come back to this in just a moment to reiterate the importance of forgiveness, but we lack confession whenever we fail to respond to conviction. The next thing is that we lack dependence on God when we don't trust God for our protection. The last verse, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. It speaks of being dependent on God, that he protects us, that he guides us through. He carries us through. You guys know the, the, the scripture in Psalms. You know, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear evil. God protects us. This speaks to that right here. This is a submissive but also a dependent prayer. That we're dependent on, upon God for our protection. All of these require revelation from God, though, to believe. Revelation. And revelation is not something that someone can do for you. I can't say a certain amount of words in a certain way to to reveal something to you. That is an act of the Spirit. The act of the Holy Spirit that reveals truth. And the importance of prayer and why we pray and all of the things that we've even talked about come through revelation. And so I think sometimes whenever we don't live a life of consistent prayer, it's because we lack revelation. Because... Consistent prayer is fueled by revelation. So there are certain times in our life where maybe, maybe you don't feel like you're getting something. Or maybe someone that you know, it's like they're, just, they're not getting it or they're not living that life. And, and you feel like you, you need to like force their behavior to, to be modified, right? You need to force them. Or yeah, I, I got to force myself. Sometimes instead of praying for changed behavior, you need to pray for a revelation, From God. And this right here is not very, um, I'll use the word practical. Because the things of the spirit are not always tangible like like this right here. You know what I'm saying? Like when do you know that you've got a revelation? Well, first off, you kind of just know. It's kind of intangible. But I can tell you when I've got a revelation of something, it's whenever it eventually, it fuels change in my life. It fuels a change of action. It fuels a change of prayer, the things that we're talking about. So for some of you, the prayer that needs to be prayed in your life is a prayer of revelation. Say, so God, would you help me to understand you, to understand your heart, to understand the motives behind prayer. Because what we don't want to fall into is Religion. Which looks like this, have you said the Lord's Prayer today? Right? Did you, did, you do your, did, you do, did you do your bedtime prayers? Oh, yeah, I forgot. All right. That's not it. Now, you can pray the Lord's Prayer, by the way, and have a lot of passion and conviction and, and revelation. I'm not, I'm not downing that. We're preaching it. Okay? I'm, not, I'm not belittling that prayer whatsoever. But again, the motive, the heart, the understanding, the revelation underneath it. That's what we're speaking to. But there's another aspect of our faith that requires revelation. And we've already hit on it quickly. But Jesus goes back to it. And this is where we're going to end today. Verse 14 and 15. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is one of the hardest scriptures for many people right here. This is like, you know, it's almost like running a race, you know, you get the hurdles and you're like, you're jumping over each hurdle and it's good, it's good. And then all of a sudden you get to this wall and it's this wall of, I must forgive others or God will not forgive me. That's not fair because I'm not the one that did that thing. They did it. And now I'm, I'm, I'm having to deal with all of this, and, and, and now if I don't let it go, well, forgiveness says, almost by definition, that you don't owe me anymore. What, what, what are you telling someone whenever you say I forgive you? You're saying, hey, man, you don't owe me anymore. I forgive that debt. You don't have to pay me back. Right? I forgive you. You don't owe me anymore. But not because they technically but not because they don't technically owe you anymore. So when someone harms you, when someone pushes up against you, when someone does something that's really, in some cases, unforgivable, technically, yes, they still owe you. But on your end, you release that. And you say, I'm not gonna hold you to that. And many times we look. At forgiveness as releasing someone for their benefit. Whenever you forgive someone, you're releasing them for your benefit. Because the, the, the twisting, the twisted nature of unforgiveness is that you think that you have control of them or of the situation whenever it actually has control of you. It's what sin does. The enemy seeks to kill, steal, and destroy And he will use the the offenses of people in your life to cause you to not be able to forgive someone else and feel justified in that. But verses like this right here pushes up against that. So we need to receive that right now. We need to receive that. Forgiveness can be one of the most difficult things to do, but it's also one of the most Christ-like things to do. Why? Because when Jesus hung on the cross... He did nothing wrong. We were the perpetuators, right? We were the ones who sinned against him. We owed him. And yet he took that punishment on himself, died in order to pay the price for our sin so that we could be forgiven. This is, this is the gospel. And, and, and so he says, if you don't forgive others... You won't be forgiven by God because you're negating that, 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 that process. There's a, there's a story in the Bible of someone who he, he owed someone like 20 bucks. really wasn't that big of a deal. And the person said, you know, you're forgiven of your debt. I'm sorry, he owed him like $20,000. I said, said it wrong. He owed this person like $20,000. And this person said, you're forgiven of your debt. And that guy went out and he went to this other guy that owed him like 20 bucks and the guy couldn't pay him and he begins to choke him. And whenever that was found out, the other person went and grabbed that guy, put him back in jail and said, now you're gonna be in jail until you pay back all of it. And sometimes we're that person. We've been forgiven by God so much, but yet when it comes to forgiving someone else, that's where the process stops. And in that scenario, God's like, no, 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 don't go choke out the guy that owes you 20 bucks. Don't do that. Forgive. Forgive. So for some of you, these scriptures might be messing with you, might be pushing up against you. Because I know one thing, every single week, there's there's many people who are walking around with unforgiveness in their hearts. And I know that it's painful. And I never want to, like... Being sensitive to that, but I think at the same point we are called to continue in the process of what forgiveness looks like. And this is a warning. This is a warning to me. Right? Hey Jordan, don't, don't hold on to things. There's things in my life right now that I could easily hold on to. And guess what? I'm justified in holding on to it. I'm justified in holding that over that person's head. I'm justified in that 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 tension. I should I should get an apology from them. But that's not how I pray for them. I also don't pray that their teeth would be shattered, okay? (laughs) I pray blessings over them. God, would you bless them. Everything that they put their hands to, God, would you prosper them. Even whenever they were, God, you know what they did. You know what they said. You know that it was a lie. You know that it was inaccurate. But God, I forgive them. I don't feel it but I forgive them. They don't owe me an apology. And I'm not saying that in an elitist way. Oh, you don't owe me an apology. You know, to try to control them. Because some people do that. Oh, you don't owe me an apology. Well, you won't let that person actually apologize. Right? There's there's another whole manipulative way of doing that. But what I'm saying is that we release people. And whenever we release people, we are released. And God also can forgive us properly. Right? It, it, It cleanses this whole process. And so... I want to take some time at the end of this sermon just to kind of spend some time talking about that because I know that that's a very difficult thing, in many, many, a difficult thing in many of your lives. But the big point is that biblical forgiveness is only possible through a revelation of God's forgiveness to you. And once you have that revelation of how much God has forgiven you, then forgiving others gets easier and easier and easier. The people that hurt me, I don't forgive them because I want to. I forgive them because God has forgiven me. That is the motivation. That is the heart. That is the root system. And that never gets old. Why? Because God's forgiveness in my life never gets old. I'm in awe and wonder that he would call me out of darkness and, put me, and place me in light, right? Let me pray for you. God, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word. And God, we're praying that today, as we wrap up this service, Lord, and as we go into our lives God, that you would continue to help us understand prayer. To help us to understand what it looks like to live a life of dependence and submission on you. Lord, we're not here feeling like we figured it all out. That we have, you know, we're we're, we're just, we just got it all together. Father, we, we are here today humble. Asking for you to give revelation to us of prayer, of submission, of worship. God, we want to be dependent upon you. As our source, as our provider. God, I'm praying for each person in this room right now, that by your spirit, that you would reveal yourself to them. God, that you would reveal the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Jesus to those who are far from you, but God, also to those of us who have been in this for a long time. God, that things would not become routine and religious and begin to lose their power and their meaning. God, we ask, all of us ask for forgiveness in our lives right now. Forgiveness of, of intentional known sin, things that we've done and said, God, that we knew what we were doing. God, and also sin. we're blinded to even right now God that you would reveal that that you would open up our eyes to see truth we are dependent upon you God if you're far from God right now you don't have a relationship with him just right now in your own words just say God would you forgive me of my sin I accept you into my life thank you for the cross thank you for hope Thank you for healing in my life. Today, God, we worship you. We declare that we're dependent upon you. And God, if there's any of us who are struggling with forgiveness right now, I'm praying that you begin a process of forgiveness, a process of of compassion, even for the one who has done the harm. God, that is miraculous. And we need that in our lives. Pray for healing today. God, we pray for healing in our bodies over sickness and disease. We thank you for the truth of your word that says that you heal all diseases. And we believe that you still have the power today to do that. We acknowledge you in all of our ways, God. We pray that you would direct our paths. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.